you'll see it all the time. These, you know, team sport athletes will come in, they'll have, you know, the Wawa big gulp in the morning. They'll have like a, a 24 ounce coffee and not a single water bottle on their person. Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we talk about pain, rehab, performance, and education. If you have questions about the nuance that we dive into, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about it. Apart from that, we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and we hope everyone stays safe and is staying healthy. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Um, we're going to keep this one a little bit shorter today. I'm joined by Dr. Troy Cook. What's going on, guys? And uh, we're just going to talk for you know, a good 15, 20 minutes a little bit about recovery. Um, recovery is a word that I feel like is often misused, and it's honestly just poorly defined, right? If you ask a bunch of people what they mean by recovery, even if you're looking at research studies, one author may define recovery as, you know, the return of creatine kinase to baseline levels in muscle tissue in the blood. Another author might say it's the return back to um, full performance or like peak one rep max strength or something like that. Um, Other people might just say it's a subjective, like I feel recovered. I don't feel tired as much. My muscles don't feel sore. Um, And no one totally agrees on what recovery means. And now there's even like the whoop bands that give a percent of recovery. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, you you have a bunch of things trying to, you know, trying to identify certain markers and and come up with some kind of formula. The whoop strap is a perfect example to tell you whether or not you're recovered enough. And the idea, obviously, is that that would somehow guide your training decisions. Um, I don't know that the extent to which right now the technology really helps you do that. Um, yeah, and there's, the reality is there's a lot of circumstances where you're not really worried about being totally recovered. You might still train that day knowing that you aren't recovered because you're trying to intentionally overreach and push things a little bit harder right before you taper or deload into some you know, specific performance. So if you're three or four weeks out of a marathon, yeah, you might be running mileage that is having a cumulative effect on your body that you aren't technically recovering from or peaking for a powerlifting meet. You're certainly not recovering from session to session, but you're still benefiting from those training sessions in the compensation that you get afterwards when you taper things down. Um, but whenever you have patients coming in, obviously people are coming in with pain, coming in with certain issues and they may be seeing certain recovery tools on social media or asking you a little bit about how they can improve their recovery from the injury that they're dealing with. Where do you tend to focus that conversation if someone were to ask you that? If somebody asked me that, um, the first thing I go towards is sleep and nutrition. Are they eating enough? Are they eating the right stuff? And are they getting enough sleep to actually recover well? Um, sometimes the, the wearables are nice because they can tell somebody how much sleep they are getting, the quality of their sleep, and th- it does give a percent recovery, but you know, you got to take that with a grain of salt. Like I had somebody come in, um, yesterday and they had a whoop strap and she was like, I had a 4% recovery, uh, 
yesterday, a 4% recovery. And I was like, did you just pull an all-nighter? She was like, no. She was like, I I feel pretty good today. Like, I, I, I slept fine, got like eight hours, but I guess maybe her heart rate was higher than her resting heart rate normally is when she's asleep. And maybe she was tossing and turning a little bit more that night, but a a 4% recovery, you know, that sounds like you should not do any activity that day. Like you should skip the gym session if you had 4% recovery, right? Yeah, I feel like you're, you are really relying on the technology being accurate enough to confidently say that your heart rate variability is what it is, mm-hmm. right? Like we know even heart rate trackers in and of themselves have issues where you compare a bunch of different fitness wearable heart rate trackers, whether it's a strap across your chest, a whoop strap, a Fitbit, whatever it is, an Apple Watch. And there's even a considerable variability in the numbers that you're getting just in heart rate tracking, just in high-end fitness trackers. And then to take that level or that margin of error, apply that across several other variables like sleep quality, sleep duration, heart rate variability, and resting heart rate, uh, activity, steps, all of these other variables, each with their own margin of error, that are probably proportionally worse than uh, heart rate because heart rate tracking, you know, in the method that it is with the, the small light has existed for quite some time. The variability on all of these measures is probably insane. I personally haven't looked at a ton outside of heart rate and heart rate variability in terms of how accurate those measures tend to be. But, you know, the the bottom line is that there is a considerable error for each measurement that is essentially being stacked on top of each other Mm -hmm. to create a formula to tell you how well recovered you are. And the reality is, who's to say that six hours of sleep versus eight hours of sleep how impactful is that on your training decisions as compared to a five percent increase in heart rate variability versus a five percent decrease or a 28 heart rate variability versus a you know 45 or whatever the measures are Mm -hmm. what's the magnitude of each variable and how impactful is each thing like how much does your steps matter if you're training as a baseball pitcher the next day. Does that matter that much? Should the whoop factor that in to the same degree as it factors it in for a marathon runner or a power lifter who's doing some lower body-based training? I don't know, and I, I obviously they don't know either, and they're doing their best to make educated guesses, but I think it's something that, although useful, it's more of a another piece of data that you consider to make better decisions but oftentimes you choose not to consider it as well yeah yeah i agree but yeah um yeah sorry went on a a sidetrack with that but uh, yeah uh, the your original question as i look at you know stress in life um sleep and nutrition um i feel like a lot of times somebody's coming in and they'll just you know feel like they're not recovering well from um, exercises so they'll be like foam rolling more massage gunning more and they'll just be like hammering the tissues and then you you know take it a step back and you're like hey how have you been sleeping they're like well work has been you know super insane right now like 
you know, I'm a teacher. We're just getting back into school now. The kids are coming back in. I have to rewrite all my lesson plans and just work is insane. And um, I haven't been sleeping well at all, actually. Um, I feel so tired all the time. And it's like, maybe we should spend less time beating up our tissues and we should spend more time kind of relaxing and getting to bed a little bit earlier and probably going after that low-hanging fruit. Yeah, and I mean, obviously... <laughs> Sleep is a difficult one, and Nisha and myself and Tyler did that podcast on sleep quite some time ago on some of Nisha's sleep research when she was in grad school. And, you know, it's one of those things that everyone knows that they should sleep seven, eight hours every night, and Mm -hmm. um, a large percentage of the American population does not do that for a variety of reasons and a variety of barriers. Um, but the reality is, uh, you know, it comes down to behavior change more than it does education in a lot of circumstances. Now, obviously, they're, they're related. There's somewhat the same thing. But when you're looking at sleep modifications, it's more of like, okay, how do we try to get someone to get more sleep? It's obviously not just going to be in telling them you need to sleep more or telling them, hey, well, maybe this week isn't the week to push it in the gym because you didn't sleep that well. That might be something that you decide to do. Um, But in understanding how does someone change habits um, is going to be powerful in terms of your ability to actually change their recovery patterns because we know that recovery is more closely linked to sleep and nutrition and good training as compared to some of the ancillary stuff like uh, the devices and the percussion and hypervolt and all that, all that stuff. Um, and so I know in terms of sleep, rather than just giving someone some educational lesson on the importance of sleep, I tend to like to talk about some of the kind of near bedtime habits. Is that something you tend to do? Uh, like, do you ever talk to people about how to get more sleep yeah um i definitely go over like routines like just getting in like a bedtime routine or like trying to keep something consistent every single night so that it just kind of lets the body know like hey we're winding down we're getting ready for bed you know as opposed to doing something different or you know working right up until bed something like that where you're you're constantly doing something different the body's trying to adapt and then it's like okay time to go to bed now and it's just not in sleep mode Yeah, so I I talk about kind of a similar thing in terms of the winding down process. Obviously, when people work a lot, I understand it with residency and and doing stuff up until bedtime, essentially. Um, But I do like to try to encourage folks to implement some kind of 10-minute routine prior to bed. That can be an actual stretching routine. Um, if I feel like there's any benefit to what they're specifically dealing with to actually stretch. But I think for most people, stretching statically can be somewhat meditative, almost like a yoga practice, but a little bit more passive. Um, so that could be some kind of stretching routine. I've even showed, shown people like uh, Headspace or the Waking Up app for uh, like a guided meditation as something to implement in the evening right when you're ready to kind of transition towards getting in bed uh obviously bringing 
light down so trying to shut off all the lights in the area even if you're watching tv or whatever just not having a lamp on not having other stuff on um, just so your body can get into that space of of kind of darkness and producing some more melatonin and getting kind of in that pre-bed uh state um and then that's where even like some foam rolling stuff i would have people do if they already do it it's like hey let's get this out of you know your your regular routine let's just make this like a bedtime thing and then ideally that translates over to some degree um, but one of the things that i think with sleep that is often done in pro you know incorrectly or or not properly is um trying to get to bed earlier is is very hard obviously mm-hmm. and people will try to be like okay i usually go to bed at 10 30 tonight i'm going to try to go to bed at 9 30 and the evidence is fairly clear that that is not the right way to go uh an hour of change is way too different and we know that based on you know, i don't know if you've ever read i know that his book's kind of controversial the book how we sleep yep have you read that mm-hmm. um so I know he said in that book, he quoted some studies about uh, cardiac events in daylight savings time, how you know, the Monday after the time changes in the fall, um, when we lose an hour of sleep, correct? We lose an hour of sleep in the fall or in the spring. Spring forward, spring fall back. Spring forward, you lose it. Okay, so the spring, you lose it. So anyways, the Monday after you uh, – why is, why is that even a thing, daylight savings? Um, the – time in the year in which you are losing an hour of sleep that monday after there's like a 24 percent increase risk of cardiac events and then in the fall when you gain an hour of sleep there's like a 23 percent decrease obviously it's correlation and whatnot but um the idea is that one hour is a fairly large shock to your system and it can be pretty difficult to implement especially regularly which is what we need to do um, from my understanding, the recommendation tends to be 15 minutes. If you typically go to bed at 1030, 1015. You, you should be able to do that. And if you can do that consistently for a month, then you shift to 10 o'clock, then 945. Things are very squirrely. Maybe you accelerate that timetable a little bit so it doesn't take you, you know, six months to get on a good routine. But realistically... Most people are going to try to sleep an hour earlier, not be successful with it, and six months later, they're still going to the bed at the same time. So just taking it slow and truly consistently is probably in folks' best interest. Um, what advice do you give on the nutrition side? So you mentioned that. What do you Where do you start with that? Yeah, um, I'm, some of it is just making sure they're getting, it depends on the athlete too and what they're, they're doing, what their training is looking like, but making sure they're getting adequate calories, making sure they're getting... Um, you know, adequate proteins. Um, I don't know if it's a you know powerlifter. I'm usually their supplementations usually on point. They're getting enough protein. Usually getting enough you know creatine. On, they usually have a laundry list of stuff. Yeah, um, they're. I feel like they're not usually the ones I worry about being under recovered. Most yeah. Most barbell athletes are like over recovered. Right. They got a little bit too much energy stored on them. Um, but for me, I feel like. And most folks, I think, would probably agree it's the team sport athletes that mm-hmm. are all over the place. They probably don't have a ton of team guidance from their coach. You know, the coach might yell at them to drink a protein shake after practice or something like that. But um, the rest of the day, they're eating you know, 1,500 calories, and it was just Pop-Tarts and, 
and a chicken sandwich at lunch and then maybe like a protein shake after practice and they think they're all all good um so calories definitely tends to be the first place Mm -hmm. uh i would go in terms of like hey what kinds of things are you eating you know are they generally higher caloric things are they lower calorie foods and what do you need in terms of do you need to gain some body mass to help your recovery do you maybe need to slim down uh, to improve your performance or whatever the case may be and uh, calories will always be kind of the place that I start at least inquiring about and like I said obviously protein most you know we know that protein intake in athletes probably needs to be higher than what the RDA is in in the US mm-hmm. um, those are typically cited in the like 0.6 to 1.2 per kilogram of body mass which is like half a gram per pound of your body weight uh, which is is considerably lower than what an athlete would likely need and probably that is too low for the general population as well but that's besides the point somewhere in the neighborhood of a gram per pound mm-hmm. you know 0.8 grams per pound um, and I I know none of the young baseball players that we work with are getting adequate intakes in no and you know sometimes it's just asking what does a a typical day look like for you like nutrition wise what does your breakfast look like what is your lunch your dinner what do your snacks look like because you know you'll ask them about calories like um a lot of them don't know like you know how many calories are in these things and how many am i getting a day what should i be getting they they have no idea so you can just kind of ask them and get an idea of just something like whoa this person is way under their caloric needs and they're training super hard right now and that could be a huge reason of why you're not you feel like you're not recovering well oh yeah and i mean just just how long it takes them to answer and how fluidly they can answer is probably going to tell you a lot Mm -hmm. they're going to be like some folks are going to be caught off guard and be like uh hmm let me think what do what do i do well you know i'm trying to think breakfast this morning I had this. Usually I don't eat, th- and the the answer will be very like inconsistent, all over the place. Clearly unsure of how to summarize their their dietary habits. Whereas other folks are like, ah, oh, no. Typically in the morning I'll eat like oatmeal or some cereal. For lunch I'll either have like a salad or this, and then for dinner it's whatever my mom makes, which usually it's some kind of this or that. And they're like, okay, this person has a little bit more grasp on at least consciously understanding what they're, you know, consuming on a regular basis. So that'll give you at least somewhere to start in terms of how ready is this person to have a conversation about calories or protein mm-hmm. if they can't even recall anything they ate in the last like week. Yeah. Um, aside from calories, I'd say another thing that I really look at with nutrition is water intake. You'll see it all the time. These, you know, team sport athletes will come in, they'll have, you know, the Wawa big gulp in the morning, I'll have like a, a 24 ounce coffee and not a single water bottle on their person. And they're about to come in here and work out and hit and throw and go through a whole PT session, like, you know, four hours long and they don't even have a water bottle. Yeah. And only really s- fairly small amounts of, of levels of dehydration can have a pretty substantial impact. So it is worth considering. I remember even for myself, when I was in Charleston, I was training at a, um, it, it wasn't a CrossFit gym, but it was kind of like a, a CrossFit box style warehouse, no AC, uh, 
bunch of barbells, but it was a little bit more powerlifting, bodybuilding oriented. But the bottom line is it was in Charleston, South Carolina with no AC and it was right on the side of the water. So it was insanely humid, insanely hot. In the summer, it would be 105. The humidity is outrageous. Maybe, you know, it rains fairly consistently, at least a little bit throughout the day. So it'll just feel like you're swimming. And a lot of times you'll be drenched in sweat by the time you even get to the gym because your AC took too long to, to get kicked in. Um, and I trained there for probably a year, a year and a half. And then I remember distinctly when I left there and I went to an exclusively bodybuilding style gym uh, when I was in my contest prep, I, which was a fully air conditioned, like just it was part of a strip mall. So it was, you know, it was typically pretty cold in there. Um, I remember distinctly feeling like my performance had skyrocketed in that week or two that I got that I got there. Um, I wasn't sweating. I, you know, a ton, I was, I was training fairly heavy. So I was doing a set every 10 minutes. Um, but I wasn't sweating. I was drinking water cause there was, I had access to it, water fountains everywhere. And that was the thing that the water intake and the heat, um, that was causing me to sweat. I felt like that was the most direct reason why I would feel that substantially different. And then when I would go back to the other gym to visit and train there, I would feel the the reverse. I would just perform way better or way worse. Everything would feel heavier. Um, and at, I'm sure at a certain point, there's a possibility that that was, you know, an expectation as well. But it just doesn't feel good to train in 105 degree heat either. Um, but yeah, that is something that I, I feel like I have truly subjectively felt the difference between being sufficiently hydrated and insufficiently hydrated and what impact that had on on my performance and i don't think that that's something that most of the kids we're seeing or just kids in general team sports around the country are necessarily thinking about on a regular basis a lot of them are just drinking when their coach gives them a break every 10 minutes a lot of coaches will say water is for the weak mm-hmm. and a bunch of stupid stuff like that let's uh, try to toughen them up terrible yeah, it is terrible. And yet they're drinking diuretics all day long. They're drinking coffees and bangs and oh, yeah. pre-workouts. Yeah, and... just like absolutely hammering caffeine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, in terms of general recovery things, I like fitness trackers. I like wearables as a piece of the puzzle. If it matches with what you're feeling subjectively and it makes sense, it can help influence some auto-regulation or some training decisions sleep modification in your behavior is important uh little baby steps changing the scenery changing the routine making very small adjustments and then overall nutritional intake just seeing am i getting enough calories am i getting enough protein am i staying sufficiently hydrated i i invest most of my time talking about those specific Mm -hmm. things i never get to the point where their sleep is perfect, their nutrition is spot on, they're you know tracking their their uh, heart rate variability, and I'm like, oh, well, let's move on to the next recovery thing that we could do. Um, I don't get that far, so usually it's just continuing to mm-hmm. refine and harp on those things. I never get to the the point where I'm like, no, you need Graston or you need yeah cold bath or a, a hot shower. 
Yeah, and I think the things we discuss are going to be our biggest take-home items when we're talking about recovery as a whole. But a lot of people want specific recovery tools, right? They want something that they can actively do and make them feel like they are working towards like muscle recovery. In that case, my recommendation usually goes to something a little bit more active. So, you know, not um, not like a, a static stretching or something because they feel tight because their muscles are, you know, neurologically fatigued. You know, you just broke them down the day before. Um, I go something a little bit more active. So maybe it is just kind of like going for a walk, maybe hitting a foam roller, maybe going through more of like a flow yoga where you're just getting in and out of positions. You're working on some range of motion and we're just getting the body moving kind of all over, getting the heart rate up a little bit. That's typically where my suggestion goes. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm the same, like, you know, some of the active recovery, take a walk, ride a bike, do something like a low level that just gets your heart rate slightly elevated somewhere in the 100 to 130 range um, and just kind of cruise there for 15, 20 minutes and yeah, do some stretches, do some yoga poses, just kind of feel good. Uh, That would be the way I go. If someone wants to do the passive stuff, I, because that stuff tends to feel good and tends to be relaxing that I try to implement as part of the bedtime routine specifically to support that process of getting to bed at a, at a, at a consistent time um, and ideally improving sleep quality if you can kind of wind down a little bit. You know, you're, you're off your phone, you're out of the TV because you are, you know, rolling a lacrosse ball around your glute meat or whatever it is, or you're throwing stim on or the Normatec just as like the lights are down, you're drinking some water, you're, you're just chilling on that for a little bit before bed. That I think, you know, if it feels good to the person and it's part of their bedtime routine, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, So if it's active, thumbs up. If it's passive, incorporate it into the pre-bed routine to try to support that process. And uh, that tends to be as far as I ever get. Because mm-hmm. no one ever checks off all those boxes, myself included. Yeah. Um, so it's just constantly trying to find different strategies that might work a little better for one person if if certain behavioral approaches aren't helping them sleep any earlier or better. Um, yeah. Simple things like temperature, too. I know there was a Matt Frazier podcast on, on Rogan. He talked about how he had some, like, cooling sheets. Did you see that or mm-hmm. hear that? like actual temperature controlled bed sheets or like a cooling blanket. I keep the room fairly cold. I think 67, 68 tends to be where I'm at. Uh, that has been kind of shown to be more optimal than a higher temperature. Um, so maybe cranking the AC a little bit or investing in these mythical uh, cooled sheets that turn you into the five-time world fittest man. Yeah worth trying or just leaving the window open and the fan on in the winter yeah you could take the the hillbilly troy method of of just windows straight up open in 28 degree weather uh i don't know how you survive that great recovery do you wake (laughs) up with like actual like frost on you i do not it gets chilly though and it (laughs) it it can be tough getting up in the mornings but i'm i'm one of those people that just pop right up in the morning when the alarm goes off and it's like a little wake-up call is your heat on while you're doing that? I have not turned my heat on once in the apartment <laughs> through the whole year. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Uh, all right. Well, 
Um, on that note, we will talk to you guys later. If you have any questions, you can hit me up on Instagram at maxlepage.dpt or Troy. Troy.cuck.dpt. And uh, we will catch you guys in the next one. Peace. Later, guys. Thank you for listening to the Training Room Talk podcast. We hope today's discussion was helpful in illuminating some of the complexities behind pain and rehab. If you don't know where to go from here, please reach out to us with questions. We have mentorship options for clinicians and students and programming options for you to elevate your own fitness. We look forward to speaking with you and again, hope you enjoyed today's discussion.